here we are. Uh, Callie Scar told us that this is our water feature here today. We have the two trash cans at the front of the building for sanctuary. So we are getting ready to be moving out of this space, at least for the summer, while it's going to be remodeled. Um, so we are looking forward to that. Uh, something that you can be, be praying for. Uh, we do have our camps that are going on full bore right now. Our high school students left just about an hour ago. So be praying for them, their travel, that they hear from God while they are there. I did receive a text from Jim. He just said, hey, I hope, hope first service went well and whatever. And then he said, maybe have Andrea stand up sometime while you're preaching and bless the room as our first lady. So uh, that won't be able to happen. She was in first service, but um, we're in Acts 16, so if you would take your Bible, Acts 16, we're going to be looking at the first 15 verses, and we are in the middle of uh, Paul's travels, known as the missionary journeys of Paul, and we're getting ready to start, uh, he's getting ready to start the second missionary journey here in Acts 16, and over the next few minutes, I would like us to just answer this question, and the question is this, how do you align your plans to the plan of God? How do you align your plans to the plan of God? Now, uh, these missionary journeys were not just any random traveling events. Hey, I'm gonna take a mission trip this summer. At their core, these journeys lived out the purpose of Acts, and that is that God continued to, to expand the gospel as the church moved out and expanded, and more and more people came to know Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. But as uh, these journeys had proceeded, as the gospel moved out, there was some tension. In chapter 15, there was theological tension, there was even a relational tension with Paul and Barnabas splitting. And then here in chapter 16, we have Paul adding a, a member to the team in verse 3. To replace Barnabas, a man named Timothy comes on, and they begin to go back and revisit some of the churches that they had earlier established on their first journey and encourage them and share with them some of the decisions that they had made in Jerusalem. And it's in the middle of all of this that Luke, as he writes, gives a summary statement for the church, kind of a state of the church, how the church is doing. And sometimes as staff members and as leaders in the church, people will come and, and ask, how are you doing? How's the state of the church? What's going well? What are some struggles that you're experiencing? How can we pray for you? And you always hope to give an answer like Luke gives here in chapter 16, verse 5. Here's the state of the church. He says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. In other words, people were growing deeper and deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ, and they increased in number. More and more people were coming to know Jesus. The church was expanding. The church was growing. And so things, at least on the surface, appear to be going well. The theological debates of chapter 15 behind them, at least for now, the relational tension, which Ryan addressed several weeks ago isn't always a bad thing. Paul and Barnabas split, went their separate ways. God continued to use them. And Paul now, at least we would like to look at it uh, like this, he has his dream team together. It's himself, it's Silas, it's Timothy, and Luke will soon join them. As Jim Collins would say in his book, Good to Great, he has all the right people on the bus. And this is the situation. Yet, as we find out in chapter 16, as the church continues to grow, it's not like there is no tension at all. 
And in chapter 16, we see that their mission, at least in our minds, looking from the outside into this story, their mission lacks some clarity, specifically in the direction that they were going, where they were headed. In 16, verses 6 through 10, as we pick up the story, we see that the Holy Spirit leads them in a different direction that they were originally intended to go. But despite this lack of clarity, as we look at the response of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Luke, as we look at their response, I think that we can begin to ask that, to answer that big question, which is, how do we align our plans to the plan of God? And for some of you, might, that might sound a little bit theoretical. This is a question that pastors were, would ask or people that are deeper in their faith. They're the ones that ask this question, how do I align my plans to God's plan? You might be thinking, I get up, I go to work. Really, my life is not that difficult, and I come home, and it's wash, rinse, repeat, day after day after day. Do I really need to ask that question? Is that really a part of my life? But I would say that you are probably, and have probably asked that question. Maybe it's in a looser way. Maybe it's a little more general as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have probably asked questions like this. What direction does God want me to take in this situation? What does God want me to do with X scenario or Y scenario? How, am I, how do I know that I am doing what God wants me to do? Am I just working a job? Am I just raising children? Am I just fill in the blank, whatever? Am I doing what God wants me to do? I'm sure you've asked that ever so elusive question. What is God's will for my life? And underneath that comes all sorts of other questions. Where do I attend school? Where do my kids attend school? Should I move? Should I not move? Should I stay in my current job? Should I take a new job altogether? But more than that, some of you might be a little bit more skeptical toward that question altogether. You might believe that, yeah, I believe that God is there. I believe that God created everything Yet, for whatever reason, he just kind of wound up the world, and he set things into existence, and now it's just sort of unraveling in front of us, and God really doesn't have any specific plan out there. He's, a, he's out there, but there's not a specific plan, let alone a plan that I need to, to align my life to his. Maybe that's you. And so I would say that in some sense, we have all asked that question. We've thought about aligning our plans to the plan of God. We've all thought that. And if that is you, we need to start right here in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 8, and begin to get some answers. And so what Luke reports here is that they are leaving their home church there in Antioch. And this is what he says, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went down, they went down to a city called Troas. And so here would be right off the bat answer number one. How do you align your plans to the plan of God. You align your plans to the plan of God by beginning by discerning the leading of the Spirit, discerning the leading of the Spirit, and then following 
So we discern where the Spirit is leading us, and then we follow that leading. And so what we have here is somewhat of an interesting situation. We have these missionaries. They're leaving their home church in Antioch, and they're heading west. And it would be like if here we are, Sunnybrook Christian Church. This would be our home church, and we're going to go visit some churches out west. And so we begin to make this journey. We leave Stillwater. We go out Highway 51. We go outside of town. We continue to go and go and go and go. We end up in Hennessey, and we stop through Hennessey, and we visit a church there, and we end up in Okeen, kind of the next big town where they have the rattlesnake hunt because that's what you do in Okeen is you go to the rattlesnake hunt, and you visit a church there, and then we continue and we end up in Woodward. Like we continue west and we go a little bit further north and we end up there and we visit a church and we encourage them. And so the missionaries headed west. And we know for certain in verses one to five, we know for certain they went to several different towns where churches were already there that had been previously established. We see that they go to Derby, to Lystra, to Iconium. And it's at this point where their journey begins to take a turn or several turns in response to the leading of the Spirit. And so heading west, they go through an area, or they try to go through an area generally known as Asia, but it says there in verse 6 that it was the Holy Spirit that forbid them to go into that area. And so they go through that area, they stay north, and they go through this region called Persia and Galatia, and they t attempt to go further north into a place called Bithynia. And it says in verse 7 that the Spirit of Jesus didn't let them go there. The only time that phrase is used in the Bible, referring to the Holy Spirit. And so it's in response to this preventing by the Holy Spirit that they continue south and they continue west. And they end up going down in verse 8 to, after they go through an area called Mysia, they end up going down to a, a seaport city called Troas. And so up to this point, we see in verse 6 a redirection by the Spirit and a prevention. Verse 7, there is another redirection and a prevention of them going into an area. They have these traveling plans, yet for whatever reason, God redirects these plans by the Spirit preventing them from going there. And we don't know why, we don't know how, we don't know by what means. I don't know about you, but I am a, a big fan of the GPS. Love Google Maps on my phone, love to use GPS wherever I go. And so one of the coolest gifts, at least we thought that it was gonna be a good gift that my sisters and I came together and bought my dad for Christmas years ago was a GPS. Now this was before the days where everyone had Google Maps on your phone and this was the kind of GPS that was portable, you had to charge it and then you would kind of use that suction cup to stick it right on your windshield and it would be right in front of you as you were going places and so we thought that this would be a good idea. Now, if you know my dad at all, you know that uh, he was a pretty big adherent, so that would be an understatement, but he was an adherent to the paper map. Love Rand McNally. Like, we have the, all of these maps everywhere. Whenever you looked inside the glove box, maps would fall out, not only just all the states, but like all of the individual state maps. He would have a collection in there where you bought them at a truck stop whenever you're on a vacation or a road trip. 
And so we had this idea, we're going to come together, we're going to buy dad a GPS. And so this was early on in technology where you would clearly be driving down a highway and for whatever reason the GPS would show you somewhere in the middle of a lake somewhere. And so it was early on the technology and we knew this was going to be a bit of a challenge, but we gave it to him nonetheless. And so my mom told us, this was kind of the story, the first time that my dad used the GPS, put it in his car. They begin to go on the trip, input the address where they're going. And he notices that this GPS is taking them, taking them in a different direction than he intended that they go. And this is a different direction that I've gone before. And immediately, immediately, not only do you have the GPS going, you have the paper maps there. He's bringing out the paper maps. He's like literally having a conversation with the GPS. Like that, there's no one, this is an inanimate object. No one is in there, Dad, Okay. He's having this conversation, he's, they're fighting about the direction that they're going and going between these two different modes of direction. And I cannot imagine as Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke, even though they had some questions as to the lack of clarity and the direction where God was leading them, I cannot imagine that it was utter chaos. Matter of fact, if you look through the story, you see God's divine plan, his divine guidance all throughout the text. Verse six, you have the Holy Spirit leading and forbidding. In verse seven, you have the spirit of Jesus not allowing. In verse 10, you have God calling. And so at the very outset of this story, here is a truth that we need to embrace, a truth that we need to hold on to this morning. When there appears to be a lack of clarity or direction in where God is leading us, we don't hold on to the clarity or to the lack of clarity, we hold on to all who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what we hold on to and a truth that we need to rest in this morning. And so, you might be saying, look, I, I get the story, I get that, but if aligning my plans to God's plan requires two things, discernment of the Spirit and then following, what do you actually mean by that? What do you mean by discerning the Spirit and then following the leading of the Spirit? I'd like to spend just a few minutes to tell you what exactly I mean by that. Okay, so first I mean by that is that as you discern the Spirit, you do it within the boundaries and the authority of God's inspired word. That is exactly what we believe. We believe that the Spirit is always in harmony with the word, and the word of God is always in harmony with the Spirit. We believe passages like uh, 2 Peter 1.21, that the Holy Spirit it carried along the writers of Scripture as they wrote down the very word of God. And so... As we discern the leading of the Spirit, the Word of the God is the first place where we look for direction. And so just this idea that we need to align our plans with God's plan tells me that we need help, we need direction, we need redirection in a supernatural way from God, and we find it in His Word, outside of ourselves. And without the Word of God, we are, I believe, as the old hymn writer says, we are prone to wander. And so we need the word of God given to us by the inspiration, by the spirit of God to supernaturally realign us to his plan. And so we begin first and foremost always with God's word. Secondly, what I mean by that is as you discern the spirit, you trust God in the uncertainty and then you do the next thing. 
So you trust God in uncertainty and you do the next thing. Most of the time, whenever we read these different stories of Paul traveling and going on these different missionary journeys, uh, we forget the normal things that Paul would have done. Typically, we assume he's always out preaching, he's always out teaching. Many, many people are always coming to know and follow Jesus Christ. But as we read through the text, we forget what was normal for them. What did they do? They walked, they traveled, and they trusted God for clarity when they lacked it. Just like in verse six, it says, what did they do? They went through some areas. Verse seven, what happened? They attempted to go through areas. And if you trace those phrases through Acts, many times they are directly connected to preaching and teaching, and they went through areas in order to preach the gospel. They attempted to go through areas to preach the gospel. But in some contexts, and even in this context right here, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes those words mean exactly what they sound like they mean. What happened? Well, they went through areas. Well, what happened? They attempted to go. They trusted God to lead them despite the fact that they lacked 100% clarity on what was gonna be next. And so in other places in scripture like Galatians 1-2, 1 Corinthians 16-1, and even Acts 20, we have mention of different churches that existed in Galatia. And we have a church that exists in Troas, and it was probably during this time, time that we would have assumed it was more like wandering and confusion, but it was during this time of traveling and redirecting and discerning clarity and the Spirit's leading that these churches probably came into existence and were established. And though their future was unclear, they trusted God to use them and to use them in that work in that very moment. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, great missionary, uh, she said this phrase right here, you need to do the next thing. And so many people would come to her with questions like, I'm trying to find God's leading, I'm trying to find out what God wants me to do next, how God is going to use me. And typically this was her response. Well, first of all, you just need to do the next thing. Well, that doesn't sound very amazing. It doesn't sound very missionary-like. That it doesn't sound like exciting, monotonous, not very glamorous. But for her, what she would tell people was, is you don't need to worry about what's exciting or glamorous or the, like the next big thing. What do you need to do when you lack clarity? She would say, well, you need to do the next thing. Clearly, that's what you do. And so we do the next thing, we work the next shift, we pray the next prayer, we coach the next game, we change the next diet, prepare the next meal, give the next sacrificial gift, lead the next small group, and we do it all for God's glory, knowing that he is there, and that he is providing, and that he's working. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, a, a pastor, he is a bit more direct <laughs> when he describes what we need to do when we're sensing a lack of clarity and how God is gonna use us in the future. This is what he says. First of all, you need to put aside the passivity and the quest for complete fulfillment and the perfectionism and the preoccupation with the future. Well, if that speaks to you. And for God's sake, you need to start making some decisions in your life. If you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So just go out and do 
something. That's exactly what you do. You trust God and you do the next thing. Also, what it means to discern the spirit and what I mean by that is you have to know that it won't always lead to a life of ease. See, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 6, Paul was in a city in Ephesus and he was preaching there and he really, really, really wanted to go and meet with and be with the Christians in Corinth, yet he knew that it was God's will that he would stay there in Ephesus. And I think it's kind of interesting what he says. What was to happen here was that he was to stay in Ephesus, he says, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Like, how do we put that together? There was effective work and yet simultaneously there was opposition to the work. And at, at the same time, it was the Lord's will that he would stay there. But we say these things, right? I sensed that God was leading me into a certain situation and I experienced pushback and there seemed to be opposition. And now I don't seem to think that it's God's leading. As a matter of fact, I don't have a sense of, we like to use the word peace. I just don't have a peace about the situation. Or I was gonna share my faith and all of a sudden I experienced pushback from the other person. And then I just backed off. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for God to show me what was next. And sometimes we use words like doors. For whatever reason, we've picked a door. We talk about how this is what God does. God opens, he opens doors. So when we sense God is leading us in a certain direction, he's opening doors, opening doors for ministry, opening doors for God to use us in certain specific ways. And so God opens the door and then we walk through the door. And as we continue to walk through the door, sometimes we find out that it gets a little bit hard. And if we're not careful, we say things like this. Well, it's getting hard. And so what's happening now is God is, he appears to be at least, closing the door. So God opens the door and he closes the door. And when he closes the door to one place, then surely this is what's going to happen. He's going to do what? Open another door. And that's kind of the way that God operates. And I'll never forget, several years back, Jim preached a sermon, and he used this analogy of the door. And sometimes he said, you know what? God does open doors, and he closes doors. This is what he does. Now, what God also does sometimes is he opens the door. You walk in the door, and what he begins to do is close the door, leave you in the room, and he begins this long, hard process of squeezing you through the keyhole and showing you that he is there despite the discomfort as we discern and follow the spirit. It's not always leading toward a life of ease. And finally, what I mean by uh, discerning the spirit is we need to not overly discern the spirit. And so, so many times we look for God's leading and the Holy Spirit's direction in every area of life. What kind of car should I get? Where should I live? What sort of job should I get? Where should I work? And not that these things are petty or unimportant or undeserving of our prayer because they are. Yet at the same time, I think we need to listen to what Augustine says. He famously is quoted in saying, love God and do whatever you want. Now you understand the spirit of which he's saying that, right? So when we love God, when we're filled with the Spirit and we're between these two boundaries, we make decisions that are honoring to God, that are honoring to His Spirit. 
Uh, J.D. Greer uh, is a pastor. He wrote a book called Jesus Continued. And in the book, he talks about this idea and habit that we have as Christians of over-discerning the leading of the Spirit in all areas of life, right down into the very minute details. And he sort of pokes fun at this, and he says, if you want to know which grocery store you need to go to and God wants you to go to, don't wait for a warm feeling. Just find out which one has the best deals. That's how we discern leading. And so you know what he's saying. So we need to not overly discern the Spirit and just a few things for you to think about when it comes to discerning the leading of the Spirit in your life. And so we're gonna go to chapter 16, verse nine. The second answer to this question, how do we align our plans to God's plan, it begins with leading, the, following the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit and discerning the leading of the Holy Spirit in community with other believers, not alone, but in community with other believers. And the story continues in verse nine. They are now redirected to this town called Troas. And in Troas, Paul has a vision in the middle of the night where a man tells him to come over to this area called Macedonia to cross the Aegean Sea. And as he arrives there, it's modern day Greece. And in verse 10, it says this, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding, that's an interesting word that we need to look at, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Conclude. How, how, how do we conclude? How did they conclude? Like it wasn't south earlier, it wasn't north earlier. How did they conclude? How do we know that this was the right direction that they concluded? It just, say, it just says that they concluded, and they concluded that they should go into, and it was the right thing for them to go into Macedonia. When we think conclude, typically in our culture, we think, I conclude. I've done my research, I've watched some YouTube videos, I've been on Wikipedia, I've talked to a friend that's kind of a Christian and then I've randomly prayed about it and now I conclude that this is the leading of the Spirit. Now in Acts 16, in their culture, they don't think I conclude. They thought we conclude. Interesting word, conclude. That word literally means to drive together, to knit together, and to compact together. There is a thinking and discerning as others are brought together. In other ways in Scripture, in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 4, that same word is used to describe the church and how the church is joined together, how the church is brought together all under Christ. And there's this relational element, there's this communal element of the church in decision-making and discerning where the Spirit was leading them. And so as we try to discern the leading of the Spirit and align our plans to God's plan, that is why it is so important that we're in community with other believers. That's why life groups are more than just helpful ways to learn how to study the Bible or, or helpful places that you can be on a Sunday night. It's more than that. It helps us conclude this is why we have elders. This is why we don't have just one leader. This is why we have multiple leaders that come together and pray and seek God's leading and God's direction. That is why we cannot live in isolation. I don't know how many times I have gone to 
other believers and I've gone to other men and I've just asked them the question. It just seems like God is leading me in a certain direction. It seems like God is doing something in my life. Could you please, I mean, am I crazy here? Can you please help me understand what I'm sensing God doing here? And when I ask them this, I want more than just good, good advice or helpful tips. What I'm asking them truly in this Acts 16 sense is, what do you conclude about me? What do you conclude about what God is doing in me? Several years back, I had an acquaintance that was, uh, had gone and had interviewed for a new job, and he had called together several men and said, hey, I feel like I just need to talk to some people about this. And we came together and we were meeting with him and discussing some things. He said, I, I had this interview and it seems like everything is lining up. All the arrows are lining up, like my past education, all my past work experience. And it just seems like this is the plan. All of the arrows are leading in this direction. And as we were meeting and talking with him, about this and having this discussion. We said, look, we believe that God has given you some freedom in this and that we have like freedom to pursue all these different areas, different jobs, different things. Yet at the same time, be careful of like thinking that as you see all of the arrows lining up and all of these things seem to be falling in place, be careful. That's not always, not, that's not never, but it's not always the leading of the Spirit. And some time went by, and for whatever reason, that job didn't work out. And that really isn't the point. The point of that, what I remember so much, is that someone came with the humility and the openness in the heart to say, what do you discern about this? What's God doing? Where's God leading me? Are you seeing some of the things that I'm seeing? And so for many of you, you might need to ask this application question this morning. Do you have other people speaking into your life, confirming what God is doing and where the Spirit is leading? Or are you trying to do this all alone? And I'm telling you, without others, you are clearly in danger. And we're going to finish the story. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, and the third answer is this, aligning your plans to the plan of God begins with, one, making a move, and two, leaving the results to God. And they're up to him. Verse 11, it says this, so they're leaving Troas, and it says, so setting sail from Troas, we, make a, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and was a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together, the women that had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart. I'll read that again. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so the story finishes as Paul and his companions travel across the sea, and they end up in Greece, staying in Philippi for several days. And here is what we know for certain 
happens there in Philippi. We know that they end up going to this place of prayer. It was possibly a synagogue. And typically, as Paul was out preaching and teaching and on his journeys, he would go to the synagogue first. And they encounter a woman named Lydia from a city named Thyatira. And a little bit about her, she was a dealer in purple cloth. And in this culture, this was a lucrative, big business. This is a woman of means. Many believe that she lived in Thyatira and she traveled to Philippi where she had this business center. Think of it in our terms today. Maybe it's like there's a lady that lives somewhere out on a farm outside, let's just say, of Waco. And then she travels to a silo every day where she has her business. This was Lydia. We know that she was a God-fearer, a worshiper of God. She had taken on the religion of the Jews. She prayed to their God. She sympathized with their God. Yet, for whatever reason, she was not a follower of Jesus Christ. But the point is that in response to the Spirit, in obedience to the Spirit, Paul and those, those companions with him, they made a move. And they spoke the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lydia listened. Some translations say this. She, she heard Paul. And the most important part is that God does the work says that the Lord opened her heart to the good news of Jesus and the results were and the results always continue to be up to God. And so God does the work. God does the work. The big plan in Acts is fulfilled. The gospel is continually spread through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel for the very first time, at least that we know of it, ends up in Europe. And we see it in a big way and we see it also in small stories like Lydia's story. And it's through this relatively small story that God works his plan. And so we trust him. And so we yield to him. And we sent, when we sense that God is taking us a certain direction, we align our plans to his. So I'd like to finish just by asking you a few different questions. The first one, are you holding on to clarity or a lack of clarity? Are you holding on to who God is? Second question, are your plans in alignment with the word of God? Third question, are you waiting? Are you waiting too much, maybe even paralyzed? Or are you willing to take the next step and then to do the next thing? Fourth question, are you discerning in community? Are you all alone? And then finally, will you make the move, take the next step, and trust God in all the outcomes? Let's pray. God, we so easily can read over stories like this as just a bit of history. Something that happened one time to a guy long ago that God used in a special way. And we can read into them confusion. That's really not it. Might have been a at that time, a little bit of a lack of clarity on what was next. But God, you were never confused. It was your plan. 
and through Paul and through Silas and through Timothy and through Luke as he joined them, you worked your plan. God, I thank you by the power of the Spirit that the church grew and the church expanded and that people grew closer to Jesus. May that be true of our church. And we as individual Christians and we as a church, when we experience times when we don't know what's next, might we trust? Might we take the next step? Might we, as Elizabeth Elliot said, might we do the next thing and trust you as we move forward, God? We don't cling to or hold on to the clarity that we do have or the clarity that we may not have, Father. We hold on to you and all who you are. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so in just a few moments, we're going to take communion together as we sing. We'll come up here to this stage individually or as families and share in the Lord's Supper as we take the bread, body of Christ, take the cup, the blood of Christ. And as we proclaim his death until he comes and his faithfulness, despite our uncertainty and at times our lack of clarity, that we would see his faithfulness in who Jesus Christ is. And so as we sing, we ask that you come and join us in the Lord's Supper.